I realized that it's better to assess who you are trying to communicate with and understand how you can get your message across effectively. Some might not be open to joining a rally for personal reasons, and that's totally normal. That being said, it's best to have an educational discussion with them. Now, if you meet someone who has unwavering political beliefs, then that's a different story altogether. I've been in that situation before, and all I can say is, understanding if the other side is open to hearing your point of view is important because you can only educate people who are willing to learn. You're tuned in to The People's Initiative, a podcast about the communities, places, and events that shape elections in the Philippines. It's your girl, Fifi. And Jesse. In this episode, we're going to discuss activism and politics. Of course, we know that activism, whether it be protesting, to creating, or challenging change in society, will affect the way we vote. But before we get into that, Fifi, narinig mo ba yung nangyari sa UP noong January? Ito ba yung UP D&D deal? Exactly. Kwento ko na lang sa'yo para maalala natin yung mga details. So on January 15, the Department of National Defense, or the DND for short, ended its accord with the University of the Philippines. The DND accord kasi is what prevents the police and military from spontaneously entering the university premises. So it was signed in 1989 and barred state forces from setting foot on UP campuses without first communicating with the UP administration about doing so. But since the deal has been junked, the police and the military can now visit UP campuses without notifying UP authorities. And all we can do is sit and wait for the situation to get better. Delfin Lorenzana, the DND secretary, said that the reason he ended the agreement was that it was an obstacle to the department's goal of supposedly connecting with the youth and showing them another side of Philippine society. He stated, and I quote, We want them to see their armed forces and police as protectors worthy of trust not fear, end quote. Eh, ako nga natakot na if I drive past a police officer pa lang eh, and emphasis on driving past, I'm literally not meeting them. What more if you see the military at your school? You know, I'm also kind of iffy about his justification here, no? He was claiming that UP students are being recruited by the Communist Party of the Philippines, or CPP, and the NPA, or the New People's Army. And the government pegged these two as terrorist organizations to discredit and to an extent maybe shame their critics. So in other words, students were red-tagged. And basically what happens in red-tagging is that a person is explicitly called a communist or a terrorist for being critical of the administration. Alam mo ba, one of my friends posted on Facebook recounting things that were more likely to happen in UP than being recruited by the NPA. And this is super funny to me because it's true. I've lost count on how many times na ako sinita ng guards sa chem building because I wasn't wearing my ID lanyard or mabentahan ng crinkles sa mga pa-fundraising ng mga orgs dyan. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but I honestly miss those crinkles. You know, I even remember falling asleep in the hallway sa sobrang pagod. Tapos minsan, may mga profs na ang lakas ng trip nila, they really wake up the students who are sleeping. And I remember so many times na either madada pa ako or I trip while walking to my next classes kasi hindi pantay yung road sa UP. Oh my gosh, nakakamiss talaga mag-aral sa UP on campus. I mean, estudyante pa rin naman ako ng UP, pero hindi na siya the same kasi online na lahat ng classes. Grabe, miss ko talaga kumain ng kanton sa kiosk at alam mo ba, may isang beses na kumain ako sa jeep. Tapos, feel ko ginadjudge ako ng mga tao kasi sobrang haggard ko noon. <laughs> oh my gosh. Ito pa, ito pa. 
sobrang lutang ako noon pero may time na nakaupo ako sa harap ng jeep kasama ng isa pang pasahero. Bumaba ako kasi akala ko nagbababa siya. By the way, hindi ko siya kilala. So, talagang nawidohan siya sa akin nung bumaba ako. Tapos, tinitigan ko lang siya. Tapos, sabi ko, ay, sorry. Akala ko bababa ka na. Oh my God. Bye, girl. And that's an embarrassing social situation. My you God. know, it's funny because I also have so many embarrassing stories. And see, ang dami nating memories. And even then, not once have we been recruited by the NPA. If anything, the UPDND breakage seeks to address a problem that isn't even there. We were never recruited by the NPA, and even then, we don't even know anyone from UP who was recruited by the NPA. Also, no, we're all busy attending online classes. How would we even be recruited? I don't go to campus. I mean, I don't even leave my house. So, ano to? Going online recruitment ba sila, mare? Oh, girl, now that you pointed out, it's getting a bit dark in here because the DND is high-key shady. If the DND really cared about the youth, then why is it that they ended a deal that would have otherwise protected student activities, specifically protests, from state interference? I also find it a bit interesting that this move was made in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder why the police and the military need to enter UP spaces when physical classes aren't happening. At halos walang esudyante ay nasa UP ngayon. Kung meron man, nagpro-protesta sila, of course, in a socially distanced manner. This hints at an answer to my question. But to make that answer clearer, I wanted to add that lawyer Tony Lavinia from the Ateneo de Manila University School of Government said that this tactic was a way for the government to silence critics and that the UPDND deal breakage had no legal basis. He explained that the accord did not have an exit clause And this means that both parties of the agreement should mutually agree to terminate the pact. He went on emphasizing that Lorenzana basically red-tagged students and threatened their academic freedom and right to organize political movements, which are protected by our constitution. You know what, Parlade is hella sus right now because he did not just red-tag UP. Oh, no, no, no. He also red-tagged other schools like Ateneo de Manila University, De La Salle University, University of Santo Tomas, and Far Eastern University. This really shows that he, along with the current administration, is trying to undermine dissent at a time when we need to hear people's voices. Since the elections will go down in 2022, we have to give opportunities for activism to grow because protesters can help us understand what problems plague the Philippines, who should be held accountable for such concerns, and how we can call for better conditions in our respective communities. Seeing different types of activism, whether it be through offline and online rallies, protest arts, or political conversations on social media, can let us identify which politicians are actually fighting for our rights and who aren't. That's important to know, especially now when we are a year away from taking to the polls. You know, sis, I'm all for learning. I mean, we're all students here, so let's try to keep it on brand. So ayun nga, no, I get what you're trying to say, that we need to be knowledgeable about the people who are running and the people who are making decisions that could affect society and the way we live. Since we're on the topic naman, I think we should look into why people support activism in the first place. Francis Joseph D., or who we call Sir Kiko, an assistant professor at the University of the Philippines de Liman Department of Political Science, who has done research 
on collective action talks about the motive behind protests. Why do people engage in protests? Basically, there's something they don't like, right? Either there's something about the stuff in the language of the social movement, there's something in the status quo that you want to change. In the language of counter movements, no, there's a, there was a change that you want to revert or that you want to lobby against, or not just lobby, but that you want to act against. Broadly, this is the um, idea of grievance theory, no, parang, and it's really the simplest and for the most part, most effective way to explain why there's protest. There's protest because people are upset about something. Let's backtrack on what Sir Kiko said. What do you think he meant by that? After listening to Sir Kiko, I remembered a post I saw on Twitter. It said that people protest because the usual venues of grievances have been proven ineffective. In a nutshell, sentiments from the public directed to the administration are not being heard, which causes activists to raise awareness of social issues by protesting. The more people know about these concerns, the more educated they will be about what's going on in their country and how existing leaders or political candidates can address issues that their constituents face. What's also worth noting from Sir Kiko and I's conversation is that there are communities that are likelier to join protests. These are groups that have better chances of setting up and executing movements like those with more resources, such as time, energy, and a physical location to rally. This partly explains why the youth is more willing to do ongoing activism than older generations. Adults because they find it harder to dedicate a chunk of their schedule to protest, since they have to work and provide for their family or themselves. That equates to them gluing themselves to their office day in and day out. Another factor that can somewhat predict how likely it is for someone to organize a demonstration is the presence of opportunity structures. In other words, protests are pulled off when the political environment of one's country is conducive to activism. To contextualize that, Sir Kiko made an example out of Hong Kong and China. Hong Kong, compared to China, has less repressive policies in terms of dissent, and that's why activists air their grievances there and not in the latter. But it's still important to know that Hong Kong protesters are harmed for sharing their political stances. And that can definitely discourage people from protesting. Just like how our orgs and some companies have grievance forms that they can submit to the people in charge, protests act as that sort of mechanism from people who don't like what they're seeing from the government. You know, I was reading about activism and grabe, naaliwa ko ng slide. I'm very slight lang. Kasi protests are actually on the rise despite the pandemic. And these people truly are brave. I mean, Wonder Woman is shaking and I can't hold my seat. But anyways... <laughs> I found that in spring 2020, the U.S. Institute of Peace observed that the number of public demonstrations dipped by 70% compared to the year before. But surprise, surprise, everybody. The protests bounced back immediately. Tapos sa Carnegie Endowment's global protest tracker naman, tumaas pa yung number of new protests to over 80 last year amid the COVID-19 crisis. Sir Kiko told us more about what influenced the surge in protests. Under grievance theory, kasi there's this related school of thought, which is called relative deprivation. And it's, again, trying to answer that question, why is it that protests happen in places which have less objectively grievous conditions, right? And one reason is that, well, people don't protest when there's objective grievance, but when there, or, or a lot of, well, not just when there is objective deprivation, but people protest when there is relative deprivation, meaning they're being deprived relative to what they're expecting. And I think a lot of us around the world are expecting our governments to take care of this pandemic. And some governments have, 
effectively, I mean, not perfectly, of course, but like as effectively as can be expected. You see governments around the world doing this. Look at how New Zealand is doing. Look at how Taiwan is doing. And you sort of, that's our relative deprivation relative to New Zealand, relative to Taiwan. Why isn't our government taking care of this pandemic well? And why are they doing all of these other things that like not only take away their attention, take their attention away from COVID, but actually make our lives worse? Mapapasana all ka talaga, no? Oh, to be able to leave your house like those in New Zealand. I really feel for you listeners out there. Pero seryoso talaga, I feel like other than relative deprivation, it will also come to our own processes and progresses. And I hope that we can learn from these other countries and maybe study what they're doing and see how we can adapt them here so we can all start getting better. But, you know, I'll have to agree, though, that there are times that I really can't help but compare to other countries like the ones Sir Kiko mentioned. Because we see them living their better lives. And I guess I'm still stuck at Rapunzel's Tower. True! It's also normal when to compare the COVID-19 response of the Philippines versus that of other countries. Because doing so will let us understand which nations have effective strategies against the virus and learn from them. Activism plays a big role in this process. Last year when quarantine started, I saw a lot of people on Twitter calling out not-so-helpful policies the administration enacted to address. COVID-19. They also critiqued how a senator, a Philippine national police chief, and a House of Representatives member violated quarantine protocols. Last March 2020, Senator Coco Pimentel accompanied his then-pregnant wife to Makati Medical Center despite knowing that he tested positive for the virus. Eric Yap, the ACT-CIS party list representative naman, went to Malacanang Palace even though he was a person under investigation. On the other hand, PNP chief Debold Sinas threw a giant party while the rest of us stayed at home because we wanted this pandemic to be over. By talking about their questionable actions, activists were able to discern which government officials care about the well-being of Filipinos and those who don't. And Honestly, I'm keeping receipts right now because I won't be supporting candidates who broke quarantine rules. Like, no ma'am, thank you, next. I know, right? So they're violating quarantine guidelines because... I know you guys were expecting another Chris Aquino impersonation, but I'm just not gonna give that to you today. <laughs> Pero sa totoo lang, tamahan naman. We have to keep an eye out for politicians that are following these quarantine protocols, promoting legislation that will benefit the common good. And protecting Filipinos from harm, whether it be through vetoing a questionable bill or speaking out against injustices like red tagging. Why? Because we elect politicians and these government officials to serve the public. Tama lang naman siguro na we expect that, right? Tama ka dyan, Mare! And to really drive our point home, I want to share some advantages of activism in general. One of them is that protests can pressure politicians to enact positive changes that could better the Philippines' political, economic, and social landscape. Another benefit of activism is that it can promote human rights. Like we said earlier, we can use our voices to raise awareness of social issues affecting democracy and systems safeguarding it, like the elections. On the side of the activists, taking part in social and political movements allows them to air grievances and build connections with people who champion similar rights. All in all, activism contributes to a common goal within a community. If protests are done peacefully and lawfully, then we can reap these benefits. You know, sis, I think you know this already, pero idol talaga kita. <laughs> but I think we should talk about its disadvantages din. First of all, not all physical protests are peaceful. 
because authorities can misuse their power to harm protesters and turn the whole event into a violent ordeal. So this is for you, dear listener, if you plan on attending an on-ground and socially distanced rally in the future. Please, 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 with cherries on top, go with someone you trust and know your rights as a protester. This brings me to my second point. Rally attendees risk being detained. Now, with this in mind, I suggest that you remember the 12-18-36 rule. What do these numbers mean? You can only be detained for 12 hours for light offenses, 18 hours for less grave offenses, and 36 hours for grave offenses. Third, please be aware that unlawful demonstrations can happen and avoid them as much as possible. Fourth, I hope we can keep in mind that activism can be exploited by people who want to forward an extremist mindset and that some of these protests might be motivated by irrational thoughts. Lastly, misusing the power of activism could result in the spread of disinformation. And we've been talking about this since the earlier episodes that we simply are not fans of this information and we only like our facts here. 2021 na! Wag na mga ladies and gentlemen. No tea! No shade, just facts. And like you said, it's definitely important to carefully choose which rallies you will attend and find the right person to accompany you to these protests for the sake of your own safety. If you're leaning towards staying at home but still want to raise your voice, then don't worry because you can participate in online protests. I feel like you learn a lot from these events because if you think about it, political demonstrations are a form of voter education. By listening to others' thoughts on how the political environment can improve, you can understand which policies work and who are promoting laws and programs that are for the people. So it's not a surprise that protests can influence voting behavior. But Sir Kiko believes that the effects of rallies are limiting. Let's listen to his thoughts on this. I do think protests will affect the voting of the people who attend the protests. So that's a minority of the population. If it's like your first time to attend the protests, like in the last month, I imagine that person's political views would be affected both by the protest, the specific protest they attend and the sort of network that they create or that they access as a result of attending that protest. So in that sort of micro sense, protests can affect the vote. But a protest affecting the vote more broadly, I I'm hard-pressed to see how sort of that will happen, primarily because, as you said, so many people are sort of turned off. To, a lot of people are turned off to protests, and these people are... I'm not sure a protest will make them vote for progressive candidates less. They're already not going to vote for progressive candidates. What I picked up from Sir Kiko is that physical protests are not enough to change people's political mindsets because not everyone attends on-ground rallies. So the impact of these demonstrations can only be felt by the people who attend them. On another note, a specific protest will cater to a certain demographic. For example, the Black Lives Matter protests draw in a more liberal crowd, and the anti-mask rallies in the U.S. attract conservatives. Why? Because people usually attend protests that reinforce their existing beliefs and avoid those that contradict their political stance. From this, I realized that it's better to assess who you are trying to communicate with and understand how you can get your message across effectively. Some might not be open to joining a rally for personal reasons, and that's totally normal. That being said, it's best to have an educational discussion with them. Now, if you meet someone who has unwavering political beliefs, then that's a different story altogether. 
I've been in that situation before and all I can say is understanding if the other side is open to hearing your point of view is important because you can only educate people who are willing to learn. Ikaw naman, Jesse, what can you say about Sir Kiko's thoughts on activism and the elections? I want to talk about how Sir Kiko explains that the network you create or access when we're talking about protests can affect how one votes. I personally haven't been to a protest, but let me tell you just how many times I've learned from listening to students who hold educational discussions. Simply listening to what others would call a pitch or an invitation to mobilize can also be a very good learning point and a discussion starter. We at the People's Initiative believe that everyone has influence. You don't have to have thousands of followers to make an impact on people's lives. You only need to take steps to know what advocacies resonate with you. So let us all take our baby steps and who knows, after some time, malayo na palayo narating mo. Amen, sister! And now that our discussion has come to an end, I think we should summarize our key takeaways. I'll start. Of course, we know that there are many forms of activism that you can explore, such as online and offline protests, sharing protest art, signing petitions, communicating with elected officials, and so much more. If you want to join a political movement, then you could also be a part of a non-government organization that promotes advocacies that are near and dear to you. So you can never run out of ways to keep the spirit of activism alive. That is right. And my takeaway is be careful and take note of the risks or costs involved in joining protests or engaging in activism because it's really better to be safe than sorry. Plus, we would actually love to meet our listeners in the near post-COVID future. And I know we all keep saying after COVID, after COVID, but, you know, one can really hope. Totoo, nakailang pagkatapos ng pandemic na to na ako eh. Pero sa totoo lang, aabangan ko yan. And to add... I also want to emphasize that you can only convince people who are teachable. This is especially true in politics, where reaching across the aisle is extremely difficult but important. That being said, finding a common ground between you and someone with opposing views as yours, but is willing to learn, is a great first step. Once you establish that you come in peace, then they would be more open to hearing your side. Yes, we live for that peace. You know, we should all just keep doing things that give us peace. And our last takeaway for today is don't feel guilty for not joining protests or not engaging in activism. I believe Kasena, some people will naturally be more outspoken about things and some people less. But that doesn't mean that those who don't engage cannot do their part, diba? Right? They can still read, they can still listen, and they can still weigh out their options. Least of all, you learn something from these different causes. Now, speaking of going out and protesting and even meeting people in these protests, I think some people aren't being antisocial naman by not doing those things because, of course, we're in the middle of a pandemic. So I would understand why some people would rather protest after all of this is over. And for those who are still rallying amidst the health crisis and observing social distancing while at it, saludo kami sa inyo. You guys have so much power and I have no choice but to stand all of you. I mean, the number of people in my idols list is just way too much for me to count. I cannot numbers. I have left that life behind. But going back to our convo, I super appreciated how we discussed activism's connection to politics and the elections. And I hope that our listeners learned a lot from us today. Couldn't have said it better myself, sis. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone who listened to today's episode. If you enjoy our podcast, then make sure to like our Facebook page, The People's Initiative PH. 
and comment your takeaways from the show on our most recent posts. Once again, it's Fifi and Jesse, your hosts for the People's Initiative, reminding you to follow quarantine protocols. We'll see you again in two weeks and stay safe. If you like this episode, then subscribe wherever you are listening to and tune in to our next episode in two weeks. Paalam!